Okay, uh, let's, let's just pray as we uh, come back from singing that song to think about this question that we're answering today. Let's talk to God. Uh, Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, ask questions and think about what you have to say in your word to help us answer those. Uh, please work amongst us tonight. Um, help us to know you more than we know facts. We, we want to know the facts, Lord, but we, we long to know you personally as well, more deeply, more wonderfully. Uh, we want to know your power and your presence in our lives. So we ask you to work in us tonight. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we're heading in towards the end of this series. It's our Ask Anything series. We're up to week number six. Uh, and to the, this evening, the question that we're looking at are questions like this. Here are some of the actual questions that you or friends of yours or other people in the congregation submitted when we asked you to ask anything. Uh, questions like, how can I explain the differences between Christianity and Islam? That was one of them. Uh, some people asked, what, are the, what does the Quran have to say about Jesus? And also, how do I respond to a Muslim friend who says, look, we both believe in the same God, it's just that us Muslims, we don't believe that Jesus is God's son. I think one of the things that was really interesting in all the submissions that came in, we didn't get any questions about other religions. Um, right now, Islam is the religion people are asking questions about. And I guess in particular, this question of whether the God of the Bible, the Father of Jesus Christ, is the same as the God of Muhammad and the Quran. And we've put those questions together and summarized them into this one question. Are God and Allah the same? Now, that is an important question. Uh, the reason that's important is because these days, most of us uh, living around here in Sydney at this time, most of us know someone or we work with someone or maybe our kids go to school with or we have neighbours uh, living near us who are Muslim. We go to shops where the people serving us are Muslim. And the thing that we want to know very often is, what is it going to look like for us to get along with them, for us all to get along with each other together? Is, is that actually something that's possible for Christians and Muslims to do? And I think there's another really significant question for us in this as well. Should we be trying to evangelize Muslims? Should we be urging them to put their trust in Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Saviour? Or is that unnecessary? Are, are God and Allah basically the same? Are these two religions that are different paths up to the top of the same mountain? Because we know, don't we, that there are some strong connections between Islam and Christianity. Both religions trace their roots back to Abraham. Both make a really big deal of Jesus. Both believe that there is one true God who is the creator and sustainer and judge of the universe... But are they the same? Are we talking about the same God when we talk about Allah and the God of the Bible? I think that's a really good question. I'm glad people asked that question. Um, Lifeway Research in the United States asked a similar sort of question of people that they surveyed uh, a little while ago. And they found in their context, so in North America, in the US, 
46% of the general population, so that's nearly half of all Americans, believe that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Now you can see on the screen, there's more to that survey, I've covered up the next little bit. The next thing they did was they broke up the, uh, the answers to get what's the response from people who identify themselves as evangelical Protestant Christians. So people like us, people who believe the same sorts of things as us. Well, on that nationwide survey, there was a change, but the answer wasn't all that different. 35% said that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. They said that God and Allah are essentially the same. My guess is the answer is going to be a little bit different here in Australia. Um, I, I couldn't find anyone who had done that research, but my, my guess is the Australian population, the figure's probably a little bit higher for those who think that the religions worship the same God. And maybe amongst evangelical Christians, the number is a little bit lower, but it's interesting, isn't it? Even among Christians, there are, there's a mixture of views. So what is the answer? Are God and Allah the same? Because a lot of people will tell us that they are. Do we worship the same God? Are the differences between the two religions only skin deep? Or is it bigger than that? And if it is bigger, how does it affect us in the way that we relate to our Muslim neighbours and friends? Those are the kind of questions that we're going to explore, I want to try to answer over the next 20 minutes or so. And I want to start, I think it's important for us to lay out some basic groundwork first of some basic facts about Islam. So let's, let's look at these things. Number one, uh, we need to remember that Islam comes into the world well and truly after Christianity has been established. So the Prophet Muhammad is born about 540 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's nearly 600 years after the birth of the church that Islam as a religion is born. First of all in Mecca, uh, but then much more fully in Medina in the year 622 when Uh, the first, I guess, proper Islamic community, or Ummah, is established. So Christianity predates Islam by about 600 years. Number two, we need to realise also that not all Muslims are the same. Uh, Not all Muslims believe exactly the same things. So within Christianity, uh, we know that there are some three main branches, I guess, of Christianity. There are the the Orthodox churches, there are the Roman Catholic churches, and there are the Protestant churches. And along each of those divisions, there are smaller divisions and denominations. Well, it's a similar kind of thing with Islam as well. Uh, in Islam, there are two main branches, the Sunni and the Shia. Uh, and then probably the next most significant group is a kind of crossover. You can see the the bottom left corner there in in blue, uh, are the Sufi. They they are um, a kind of mystical branch of Islam. But if I give you a simpler chart to look at, you can see that the Sunni branch of Islam is the dominant group. Um, But uh, here in Epping, uh, there are a lot of people moving into this area from Iran. If you meet uh, Muslims from Iran, it's most likely that they are Shiite. 
But it's important to understand a little bit about the differences, and the books I've recommended in the bulletin will help you dig into that. The, the thing is, no matter which part of the family tree you're from, there are some core beliefs that all Muslims hold the same, just like across Christianity. There are some core beliefs that we all hold on to. So all Muslims will agree on what's known as the five pillars of Islam. These are five practices that lead to the life that is going to please Allah. These are things that all Muslims are wanting to do. Uh, let me just run through them briefly. There is, first of all, the shahada, the confession of faith, the witness. Uh, this is a, the kind of verbal confession that there is only one God and Muhammad is his prophet. Uh, there are the daily prayers. I think most of you probably know that Muslims uh, pray five times a day. Uh, and you might have met Muslims also, the third one, fasting, who fast through Ramadan. If you've got Muslim friends, you'll know that it's only about six weeks ago or so that Ramadan ended. Uh, one of the other pillars is giving to the poor. And finally, the Hajj, pilgrimage to Mecca. Now, those five things, those five pillars are kind of like the glue that binds all Muslims together. Whatever differences there are, those five things are held in common. And there are some key other beliefs as well that are especially relevant as we consider this question of whether God and Allah are the same. And I just want to outline six of those, some of them related to what we just saw. The first of the five pillars, the Shahada, begins by saying that there is only one God, Allah. That's the first part of that confession of faith. And really, this is the key idea, this is the central idea in Islamic belief, that there is only one God. God is one. There is no other. We'll come back to that and spend a bit of time on that later. Uh, second key belief, and this is the second part of the Shahada, is that Muhammad is God's messenger. And in particular, Muslims believe that Muhammad is the last, the final messenger from God. Uh, there won't be any further revelation from God to humankind. Islam teaches that what God revealed through Muhammad is his final word to humanity. Now that flows over into the third thing I want to say. Muslims believe that what has been revealed in the Quran has authority over what is in the Bible. So Muslims believe that the Bible is a holy book. It is God's revelation. But his later revelation to Muhammad in what we call the Quran supersedes what's in the Bible or replaces and corrects that earlier revelation. Um, that principle carries through to within the Quran itself. So within the Quran, you'll see, you'll, if, if you ever read it in translation, uh, you'll find there are contradictions. And that doesn't bother a Muslim because they say, oh, yeah, well, the later revelations that came to the prophet, they supersede what came in the earlier revelations. They have authority over them. So only one God, Muhammad is his final messenger. The Quran supersedes earlier revelations. Uh, fourthly, Muslims believe in Jesus. Uh, Jesus is frequently mentioned in the Quran. Uh, 15 surahs or chapters, 93 verses. Uh, he turns up a lot in the hadiths, which are the collected sayings of Muhammad. And um, I won't go through all of them, but the book that I've recommended by Timothy George that's got a good summary of what Muslims believe about Jesus. But here are the key things, the important things to know, are that in Muslim belief, Jesus, while he is revered and is a prophet, Jesus is not God. 
How could he be God? There is only one God. Uh, He's not even the son of God. Also, when it comes to the crucifixion, the Quran says, and Muslims believe, that even though people standing around the cross looked and they saw Jesus being crucified, it wasn't really Jesus being crucified. Uh, Somehow Jesus had escaped or been taken away, and it was someone who looked like him who was being crucified on the cross in his place. So Muslims don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. Uh, Two more things briefly. Final judgment is based on a person's sincerity of devotion and their submission to the will of Allah. So if you work hard enough and you really, really commit your life to Allah, then you're in with a pretty good chance in, in the Muslim way of thinking. But ultimately, you will never know whether or not Uh, you will proceed into paradise because only Allah has the right to know that and decide that. Uh, Related to that one, finally, sin. Uh, Muslims have a different kind of idea of sin. So in Muslim thought, sin is more like a weakness that you need to work to overcome in your life. Whereas for us as Christians, we see sin more like a disease for which we need a cure. So those are important things as we consider our big question. Are God and Allah the same? There's a long tradition of people saying, yeah, they are the same. Uh, Like you see there, Gandhi, the Allah of Islam is the same as the God of the Christians. Well, is that true? You, You could certainly say that Christians and Muslims share some very similar beliefs about God. I mentioned before, we both believe there's only one God. We both believe that this one God is the creator and sustainer of everything, that he is in control of the universe, that he knows all things and sees all things, that this one true God is full of majesty and power and glory, that he's worthy of all honor and worship and praise. Muslims and Christians agree that that is true about God. What I want to do is take you to the Bible passages that we were reading earlier so that we can just compare some of these things. So if you've got a Bible there, please open it up to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45, so that was on page 722. And uh, I want to look at the verses that we read. So go to verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 45. Here God says through the prophet Isaiah, God says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. Now you think about it. Would a Muslim disagree with that? I don't think so. I I don't think they would have a problem with that verse. Um, You may be wondering though, if you're kind of clued into these sorts of things, you may go, oh, but hang on. That verse uses the personal name for God, doesn't it? Yahweh, that's what that capitalized Lord is all about. Well, yeah, that, that's probably okay if you're a Muslim, though, because the Bible is a holy book. That's how God has revealed himself. But he's revealed himself later on through Muhammad in the Quran, which updates that, corrects that. So I think Muslims would be okay with this verse saying that Yahweh, the God who revealed himself to Moses, is the one and only God. They would believe that's true. It's just that he's since then revealed himself as Allah in in the Quran. (coughs) 
That idea, though, of the personal name of God, let me just take a moment to remind us of something. We've talked about this before. Uh, If you've been around church, or you may know this from another context, but maybe this is new to you, let's just have a look. Uh, Here's what it means when, when you're reading the Old Testament in your English translation of the Bible, and you see the word Lord printed in capital letters like that. What that means is that in the original Hebrew manuscript... Uh, you've got written there the personal name for God, which we sometimes translate as Yahweh or, uh, or maybe Jehovah in older versions. Now, our English translations of the Bible follow the long Jewish tradition that you do not say the name of God out loud. So instead, in Hebrew, though you see the name written there, you know that what you say when you get to that part is the Hebrew word Adonai, which is the Lord. And so that tradition has been carried over into our English Bible so that when we get there, we won't read aloud the name of God. We read aloud the word Lord, but the capitalization is a signal to us as readers that what's actually been written there is the, <clears throat> the name revealed by God to Moses at the burning bush. Do you remember the story? Moses, uh, God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. He says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and, and uh, I want you to speak to the people and I want you to say, God is going to rescue you out of Egypt. And Moses says, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. And then that name, I am, has followed through into this personal name, which we refer to as Yahweh. Now, hang on to that, because we're going to come to that point again in a couple of minutes. Just thinking back to where we were before, though. Remember, we're noting that our Muslim friends would agree with this verse in Isaiah 45. There is only one God. Apart from him, there is no other. In fact, look at verse 7. No problem there either. I am the Lord. There is no other. I form the light and create the darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. So there is one God who's in control of everything. That's why that's saying. And the same with the other verses that we read earlier as well. So if you look down to verse 22 in Isaiah 45... These are all the kinds of things that your Muslim friends would agree with. So God says, turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. That, in fact, sounds like the sorts of things you would hear Muslim preachers saying. That God makes his appeal to the whole of the world to recognize that there is only one God goes on in Isaiah 45, By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Verse 23, Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. In the Lord alone. You won't find this anywhere else. This is a a clear message all the way through Isaiah chapter 45 that God is declaring that he alone is God. There is no other. And this truth about there being just one God who rules over everything is so massive that he says one day every single person in the whole world will bow their knee and will confess with their tongues that this is the one true God, and in him alone do you find righteousness and strength. In him alone belong glory and power. See, that, that's what verses 23 and 24 are saying, isn't it? 
And I think most Muslims would agree with that. But there are differences, significant differences. I want to draw your attention to one more thing about Islamic belief. I've said it before that when Muslims say there is only one God, they mean there is only one God. What we haven't recognised yet, though, is that for a Muslim, the idea of associating somebody else with God, to say that God has a son, or to say that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, those things are just outrageous and offensive to Muslims. It is the worst kind of sin to associate someone with God. God has no partners. For them, there is no such thing as the Trinity, no such thing as the Son of God. And this is so much so, so much a strong belief that around the side of one of their most sacred sites, uh, the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem, there is written in Arabic on the tiles that surround that magnificent structure, uh, words that declare things like, God has no son. In fact, all the way around from one side to the other in that uh, Arabic calligraphy in the tile work, it's kind of like a, a sermon to the Christians saying that God is one, Christians. He has no associates and it would be better for the Christians to stop saying that he is three or that the Messiah is his son. That is not a minor disagreement between the religions is that you don't decorate a beautiful building like that with the words of a minor disagreement. And we have to say from a Christian point of view, the place of Jesus, who he is and what he reveals to us about who God is, that's not a minor thing for us either. So in Isaiah 45, we've seen God declares there is one God and one God only. He is the Lord, he is Yahweh. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will swear, will confess. And maybe, maybe when that was being read at first, you thought that sounds familiar. Maybe when we read the New Testament passage in Philippians 2, you went, oh, there's a connection there, isn't there? It, there is a connection. I, I want to talk about that connection now because here is where we see really strongly the contrast between Muslim belief about Allah and Christian belief about who God is. So turn to the New Testament now. Um, page 1162 in the, the Bibles here, Philippians chapter 2, that really famous passage. Uh, we're going to look from verse 10. So Philippians 2 from verse 10, it says, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The implications of those verses in Philippians 2 are huge. I don't know if you see it straight away, but it's, it's really significant. See, the New Testament doesn't only say that Jesus is God's son. It says that lots. It doesn't only say that Right here, Paul is saying almost explicitly, I think you would have to say, that Jesus is in fact God. And the way he's doing it is by having a really clear reference here to one of the Old Testament passages, Isaiah chapter 45, that is one of the clearest passages in the Old Testament, that there is only one God, 
There is no other. Do you see the connection there? So back in Isaiah 45, God has said, Before me, every knee will bow, and by me, every tongue will swear. They will say of me, In the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. And now in the New Testament, God's word is saying, It's at the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. What are they confessing? They're confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. I don't think it's a coincidence that in Philippians 2, that is the confession when there's such a strong reference to Isaiah 45. The confession is not Jesus Christ is God or Jesus Christ is the saviour of the world. Both of those things would be good confessions to make. But the thing we're confessing here is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, in that Old Testament passage, Lord with capital letters. So what God is saying to us in his word here is that one way or another, every single person in the whole of the world, whether it is through confession that Jesus is Lord in glad submission to him as their saviour, or whether it is a begrudging confession that they were wrong all along and now that he's been revealed in his might and his glory, they can't help but confess it. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God. He is the one and the same Yahweh of Isaiah 45. But it's even more than that in Philippians chapter 2, isn't it? Um, one of the, <clears throat> let me read to you, I want to read you a, a translation of some of that Arabic script that goes around the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. Now, one part of it says this, God is only one God. Far be it removed from his transcendent majesty that he should have a son. In other words, Islam teaches that associating anyone with Allah is going to have what effect? It will diminish his glory. Far be it from his transcendent majesty that he should have a son. For the Muslim to say that Jesus is God, it diminishes God's glory. How dare you do that? But see how the Philippians passage finishes? Every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this won't take away from the glory of God at all. In fact, confessing Jesus as Lord, as the one and only true God, will actually be to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the contrast there? It's amazing. Christians believe, I believe with my whole heart that the glory of God is magnified when knees are bowed to Jesus Christ as Lord. When tongues confess that Jesus is God, he's the king over everything and everyone. That, that does not diminish God's glory at all. In fact, the Bible says it shines a light on the glory of God. And there's even more still. <laughs> Don't miss the context of this passage. Verses 10 and 11 that we've been looking at follow on from verses 6 and 7 and 8. Jesus, who was in very nature God, right from the very beginning, humbled himself. He took on flesh. He made himself nothing. He experienced all the agonies and the joys and the disappointments of human life. And says, then he lowered himself even further than that, to the point of a humiliation, uh, humiliating execution for crimes he did not commit. 
But Jesus went there, the New Testament tells us, he went to the cross in our place. Not for crimes he committed, but to suffer the consequences of our sins so that when we face God's judgment, there is nothing left for us to pay. He went to the cross so that he could say from the cross to us, it is finished. The work has all been done. We don't need to work our way into God's good books or his favor. What we need to do is we need to repent and and stop trying to save ourselves. We need to simply put our trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work. We need to rest in what he's done for us. The one who in every way was God, in very nature God, humbled himself for our sakes It's this Jesus whom God has now exalted to the highest place. It's this Jesus before whom, excuse me, before whom every knee will bow. And it's this Jesus who humbled himself, who brings glory to God. This Jesus who says to us and to all people everywhere, come to me, rest in me. I will give you true rest. Come to me. And in me, you will find the peace, the salam for which you long that will satisfy your soul. So, are God and Allah the same? I think you've got to say from the Christian point of view, the answer is clearly no, they're not. We're talking about very different gods. For many of us, our instinct is because we want to get along with people, we we want to smooth over the differences and focus on the things that are the same because that will help us get along. And maybe that's a doorway into a relationship. But one of the things I hope you've realized and seen today is it's, it's actually the differences that shine a light on the glory of God. This is where we get a clearer picture of the brilliance and wonder of the God who we worship. And I want to ask you, don't you want your Muslim friends to see that as well? Don't we want our Muslim friends to see the the true glory of God in Christ and to be able to rejoice in that, find rest and peace in that before it's too late? Sadly, a lot of people in this world today are going to encourage you to pray against Muslims. I want to encourage you to pray for the Muslim people who you know. Pray for them so that they might have their eyes open to see the glory of God in Christ. That they might find rest and peace in him. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that our community is changing and uh, more and more we work with and know men and women and children who come from a Muslim background. Father, we thank you that the idea of believing in one true God is a good starting place for us. But we pray, Father, give us wisdom and courage and grace to develop relationships where we can also talk about the differences and how your glory is not diminished in Jesus Christ, but it shines even more brightly. We pray that you'd use us in your mercy to bring people to trust in him and find peace 
and rest. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.